Wait, the troll said, jumping in front of him. This is my troll bridge. You have to pay a penny to go across. This is The The Grimcast. Welcome back to The Grimcast, where we take you through each episode of the hit NBC show Grimm. Today we are talking about Season 1, Episode 19, Leave It to Beavers. <laughs> hey everyone, also Claire came and we saw each other and we had dinner. We saw each other. We took so few photos because we were so engaged with the business of catching up. Being together. I know. We had a good time and Cal came over. He hung out with my dog. Ah, oh, love affair with your dog. I know. Yeah. Chris is very much like, we do not need another dog. We should not have another dog. I am not looking after the other dog, especially since the other dog that Calvin wants and I want is a Pomeranian. But we talked about this. You can travel with that dog. Yeah. And also people will watch that dog. That's true. It's so little. It yeah. just fits. But yes, Calvin would really love this type of dog. And Bree's dog is not that tiny, but it's like this furry little stuffed animal being. And Calvin, I don't think I've ever seen him so happy in his whole life. She kind of does that, although she's getting to be more of a teenager or a tween because she's about 15 months now. And there's a dog in my neighborhood and his owner is so great. And this dog is old, but he's an old black lab, kind of drooly, kind of slow. I've had two dogs in my life. My previous dog had like a vendetta against Hudson, like Hudson's the nicest grandpa. And my previous dog like jumped a fence to go. She wasn't going to like do anything, but she was triggered. (laughs) And I was like, maybe there just was something there with those two. Now my second dog is a stuffed animal and she is the friendliest. I mean, she's just has no issues. And (laughs) we just put this fence up and she's behind the fence. She has now developed this aggression towards Hudson. This dog must be a ghost dog. And He's like not creating this drama. And his sweet owner like gave me a look like, whoa. And I was embarrassed, you know, but I had to remember that she's just a teen and she's just getting her sass going. But there's something about this dog. (laughs) Because Spoiler's the same way. He's super friendly, but then every now and then there will be a dog and he sees that dog across the street and goes nuts. Yeah. Berserk. Well, I would think from her vantage point, she's small. She's looking through like a slatted fence. Yeah. And what she sees is like a black lumbering shape. Yeah. I would only imagine maybe it's just startling, but I have to remember that she's a dog and she's going to act like a dog. It's very stressful because it's very personal. (laughs) It's very personal. It's very embarrassing. Yeah. Before we get carried away, though, Brie, I have a lot to talk about with this episode, but maybe we should answer some fan questions. All right, let's get those fans on the line. I want to answer some questions. I was wondering, what weapon was your favorite weapon? Oh, man. Well, there was a device. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was something that Rosalie used in an episode once, and it kind of came through the spice shop. It was for a medicinal purposes, but it also kind of looked like a torture device, and it had two prongs. Are you talking about the nose? Yeah, the nose that went up the nose. Yeah. yeah. And did you have to, like, squeeze a solution into it, but it, like, goes up your nose? 
And I like that because I got to use it. But if I had more freedom, if Rosalie got to kill more bad Vesson and bad guys in this series, I would have loved. What's that weapon with the ball and the spikes that you can? I was just going to say the exact. Yeah, that's the one I would use too. Really? Well, because let's list why the reasons. One, it's fun. Yeah. You get to like spin a ball around. Yeah. And then it's like you don't have to have skill like the crossbows or anything that you have to shoot and aim, I would imagine you when someone's about to attack you, you get a little nervous and maybe your aim would get off. But I feel like I could get close enough with that bludgeoning machine, but not too close. There's a wildness to it. Yeah. And it's also like, do you remember the game? Uh, why can't I think of what this game is called? You whack the ball around the pole. Oh, tetherball. 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 Which was my favorite playground game. Mine too. Wow. They don't have those. No, it's probably a choking hazard or something. But I love tetherball. I was so good at it at my elementary school. Yeah. So to me, it kind of feels like that same motion, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. There's a real gladiator element to it. So we're aligned on this. I don't know what it's called, though. Like a spiky wrecking ball of Uh terror. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We'll go with that. We have a question about Aunt Marie's trailer. Is it actually filmed in a trailer? Or is it an elaborate stage set? Like a twofer question. Like we had a couple come together. I am so sentimental about like couples doing things together. Even though I myself am like probably toxically independent in my life, honestly. But I desire and I admire when couples like do stuff together. Like call in together and leave a question together. And coordinate their questions. So dang sweet. Okay, let's answer this question. Yeah, it is an elaborate stage set. Well, there are two. That's true. Both existed. Yes. Was it the first year of Comic-Con where they built it? Like we had the actual trailer or was that the second? Am I imagining that? Well, that was our first year. Yeah. But the second Comic-Con year. That was my first Comic-Con when I was about eight and a half months pregnant. <laughs> like a swollen... I don't think you were there, Claire. No, I wasn't there. I wasn't there till the third... Right, because I was made a regular in season two. So then I was there for the summer before three. But I remember two things. I remember being in an actual trailer while we're filming the series. But then they had to blow it out and put it on the stage and like quadruple the size. But there was a trailer we shot in very briefly in the beginning. And it was unsustainable because it was so small and you couldn't shoot around it. Yes, because the camera is so large and there has to be at least two bodies with the camera. So yeah, it would be too cramped. They wouldn't be able to get enough focal depth. But the details on this one on the stage is that you could remove one end of the trailer Because, you know, when you're on a soundstage and you build sets, you can remove walls so that you can get the camera team in there if you're doing a complicated setup. But we had a proper Airstream door with little stairs and you walked up into it. So it all felt very real. And there were, you know, three walls. But usually when we would shoot in there, we're talking like Tim, our camera operator, who could fit into a shoebox. He's so squishy and talented. And like a boom guy. We always have the tallest boom guys. They were like six. Oh, Adam was one. Yeah. Yeah, six, but five, you, and they could stretch from way outside and put that boom in. You have to be pretty tall. I have a question for Bree. 
I just listened to the episode where you were the guest star. My question is, can you share some of those behind the scene photos? You mentioned there was a picture of you pregnant and your stunt double and your body double. Can you share some of those maybe on your Instagram? Yes. You know, that's been on my mind. I'm in the cloud breakdown right now and all my photos are living in the cloud and all these early like the first half of 2012, I don't think I had a cloud. So all my pictures are on a hard drive. Thank you for reminding me. I actually will find that picture and I will put it on our Instagram because it's really a funny picture because we're all wearing the same clothes. So thank you for reminding me. I'll get on that. As Nick delves into the trailer's weapons cabinet and his inner grim, the investigation of a dead construction worker leads him into a long-standing conflict in the creature world. Sensing an unfamiliar threat, the suspect takes it upon himself to summon reapers to town to eliminate the grim once and for all. Meanwhile, Juliet insists that Nick invite Monroe over for dinner, making for quite the interesting evening. We're going to get into vegan salmon later. Vegan salmon! Sounds <laughs> disgusting. I can't. I mean, that must be she's a veterinarian, so she's vegan. Wait, why does she have to be vegan if she's a veterinarian? I don't know. She loves animals. She takes care of animals. She could be a vegetarian. I don't know. She makes this whole thing of like, she's a great cook, isn't she? And then she opens the door and asks him if he would like vegan salmon. That is not a dinner party I want to go to. Vegan salmon. It looks like there were some Brussels sprouts on the table. You guys have to know that meals that are on a set in a scene, if you're lucky, lukewarm. And they usually start to develop like a film and they do their best. They try to keep them in like a hot plate. And it's all being prepared on a card table <laughs> behind the set. But also you need to look out for these things, guys, now that you're watching television with us in your brains. Actors don't eat. And if they're eating in a scene, they are rookie actors because everyone knows do not commit to taking a bite of some food on your close-up, because that is going to come back 122 times, and you're going to have to spit into a little pail next to you, and it's just, you got to start to get savvy. You, like, go to maybe put it in your mouth, and then they're going to cut away, and then they, no one ever sees you actually eating. Yeah, that's a great tip. These are the things you got to look out for. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the vegan salmon. I was like, is vegan salmon even a thing? Like, what would it even be? Would it be a soy product? I was legitimately grossed out and also like, what is the message? What are we, we need to get Bitsy Tullock on the phone. Did she ask this question? Agenda. Are we pushing here? Bitsy is definitely not a vegan nor a vegetarian. Bitsy eats like a 12-year-old boy. She has cheeseburgers. Like mini hot dogs. It's just cheeseburgers. cheeseburgers. <laughs> French fries. Every time she makes a vegetable dish, she sends a picture of herself doing it to me because I did get on her for a while. I'm still on her, but I decided to stop pushing. Like, you do need to start consuming vegetables. Like, you're a very small person. I want to, looking out for your osteoporosis, you need to get your iron intake up, like, from a green. And she takes her, she takes a picture of herself cooking it with, like, a terrible look on her face. <laughs> I just texted her asking her what the vegan salmon was made of. So maybe we'll find out by the end of the episode. I'm not making any promises. She's very busy. 
Bree, there were so many beavers in this episode. So many beavers. There were little beavers, big beavers, <laughs> angry beavers, trim beavers, bushy beavers, so many beavers. Sad beavers, scared beavers. <laughs> it's a better beaver business bureau. <laughs> the trolls, too. This was a real silly episode, even though it had some terrifying danger and I would not want to meet my death in a pile of wet cement. Well, this was like Tony Soprano comes to Portland and influences <laughs> the Vesson community. I love that actor, David Zayas. Is that how you pronounce his name? Or Zayas? Zayas. It's Zayas. I liked him. He, he was from Dexter. Yeah, I was a huge, I mean, I am a huge Dexter fan. He's great. Yeah. He's done a lot of television work. We keep getting really great guest stars. Yeah. <laughs> like people that are hot working actors coming up and playing on our show. Some marquee talent. Marquee, exactly. You guys, Claire and I text each other when we watch the episodes sometimes. So we're talking about 119 today. Yeah. Beaver Nation. And <laughs> these are the texts I said, Claire. First of all, I'm a 12-year-old boy. So I text Claire yesterday. Are we recording tomorrow? Yes, I think. Normal time. Beavers. I say, I beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't even care if Claire gets it or not. Like, I'm just making myself laugh. And then she's like, ha-ha, because she's not 12 and she's like a grown girl. <laughs> and then this morning, she said, let's talk about that guest beaver. And I said, <laughs> I, said I can't stop laughing. The guest, the guest beaver. beaver was so good. <laughs> the guest beaver. <laughs> the guest. Okay, let's get to the beavers. This episode started a little like, what? And then the guest beaver came on and was like, okay, I know where we're going. Now. Guest beaver was on the scene. And I'm going to say, guest beaver at first threw me. I didn't know what show I was in for a hot minute. I was like, wait. And then I realized, oh, he's a beaver and beavers are super stressed. Then I fell in love with him. They were like the three stooges, you know? And he was the perfect third act in the Oblinger bud duo. Yeah, it was sort of three stooge -y. Kevin Carroll was the guest beaver. The guest beaver. But the number two beaver, Kyle Vahan, mm -hmm. I believe is his name, Oblinger. Mm -hmm. Oblinger, mm -hmm. which is Lynn Kalf's maiden name. Fact check. Fact check that. 99.9% .9 sure that's Lynn Kalf's maiden name. One of the guest beavers was Lynn Kalf. <laughs> so I liked him. Oh, yeah. Other than Danny Bruno's performance, which I thought he was Ugh. like aces in this whole episode. Yeah, Danny really sealed the deal in this episode for just like, we just need Danny all the time. He was really strong. A really strong work the whole episode. Yes, he's like the axis of the wheel. And the two sides, you know, of like, we don't want to stir the pot. We're all doing fine. We're scared. But yes, it's fine. And then the beaver side that said, no, we need to defeat these trolls. We want freedom. And Danny did a great job of hearing both sides, really trying to kind of galvanize his beavers mm -hmm. to fight against these evil trolls. And also, we're so used to seeing Danny so far, like, really stressed out. It was nice to see Danny be the voice of calm, the voice of strength, voice of clarity. Yeah. It actually made me want to see Danny in a lot of other roles. You know, he's just such a good actor. I will say the moment at the door with those two dweebs I know. was making me laugh because that was some funny weirdness right there. When Silas comes in and is being ushered into the house and they're shaking hands and they're like... It's like they've had an affair. I love that whole yeah, thing, like we're yeah, having an affair. Was, yeah. And <laughs> the way he's like, Nick, hello, Nick. 
Hello, Nick. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, when he takes off his coat. That was funny. He's so funny. Definitely things are getting dicey for old Nick Burkhart. Things are getting close. Things are getting a little too close to the truth. Yeah, there's no way that Juliet walks away from that dinner thinking that everything is fine. No, no way. I mean, we're at 119. We only have three more episodes to go. Yeah. So we're clearly heading in a direction where can't keep the truth buried forever. And it's getting close. Oh, you know what else I was really, I almost took a video of it. The choreographed scythe, when they dropped the scythe in unison, it was like a in sync show. Like they were like, <laughs> it's gonna be me. <laughs> like it was like so perfectly timed. I had to laugh a little bit. The detail too of like, there's one head cut off and like, well, let's just get both of them so we can send. And then I wish we would have had the scene of them trying to figure out what box size. They're just like, okay, so two heads, let's measure this. And then what sort of, if we get some dry ice, I wonder if there's like a dry ice that will make it across the Atlantic to Germany. That's where they're going, right? To Germany. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's the two-day shipping plus dry ice for live heads? Like, that's going to be an expensive... Do you think they were in line at USPS and, like, looking at the wall that has all the boxes taped to it with the size and dimensions, and you just sort of, like, look like you're like, hmm, does it want to be this one? Or does it want to be, like, 12 by 12? Or should it be, like, 24 by 16? Should the heads be right together? Should we stack the heads? Should they be facing each other, like, noses to nose? (laughs) Can we save on the box if we can squish the heads and then like the expert ice pack job? But do those go through a scanner? That's what I'm wondering too. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, did you notice this little fun fact that when Nick calls Monroe and interrupts him playing the cello, that he is playing the same piece at the exact same moment as when Nick interrupted him in an earlier episode? I didn't notice that. Did you not know that? I didn't notice that. I also did not know it, but our producers did, and they wrote it out for me to say. But I actually think that's a fun fact to share with everybody because it also informs Silas's yet more irritation when Nick calls because he just got to the same part. Also that he's maybe not as devoted a cello player as we thought. If he's not making any sort of improvement, he hasn't moved on. I'm going to be honest. I had some thoughts about that reaction. I was like, well, dude, if you really value, right, Claire, to Mm -hmm. piggyback on what you're saying, his Mm -hmm. real work ethic to the cello, like, if he really was taking it seriously, he would have his phone on silent and do do not not disturb. disturb. And it would Mm -hmm. be in another room. Mm -hmm. So bro can't get too upset when it's face up, volume on, next to you practicing and someone calls you. Okay, so I thought it was the St. John's Bridge. Yeah, me too. It's not. But it's not because we shot under the St. John's Bridge all the time. Yeah, this was actually a bridge-heavy episode, you notice. Lots of bridge shots. But this is actually the John McLaughlin Bridge, which spans the Clackamas River between Oregon City and Gladstone. Not even close. I mean, that is a haul. So these were some nights. That's a haul. That's like... That's almost like 45 hour out of town. Yeah. I didn't have to start like leaving to go far away until towards the last few seasons when Rosalie was all of a sudden like, we need Rosalie on the scene. And I'm like, you don't. You know what? You don't need Rosalie on the scene. Rosalie does not need to drive an hour to Sandy to the Boy Scout camp (laughs) and be shooting at night. Rosalie is fine in her shop doing days on a stage close to her house. 
Yeah, maybe we just didn't have enough goodwill with the city of Portland yet to be shooting in town. Oh, maybe. Here's another fun fact given to me by our producers. These are deep cuts, and our producers are going to do a better job finding out this stuff. Okay, so listen to this. This is kind of fun. So the Trip Trap Social Club is a reference to the Norwegian fairy tale Three Billy Goats Gruff, in which when the goats cross over a wooden troll bridge, their hooves make a trip trap sound. That's obscure. That's an obscure reference, but I like it. I remember that in the Three Billy Goats Club, there is like a trip trap, trip trap. I like that, though. Well, you've already called out all of the strip clubs in Portland, so yeah. it tracks, yeah. The Better Beaver Business Bureau. The Better Beaver Business Bureau. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, you know what else? This is my detective work. Mm-hmm. That David Zayas mm-hmm. and Russell Hornsby were in another series together. Which one? Seven Seconds, mm. the series he did after Grimm. Oh. Yes. I remember that. That was like Netflix or something. David did about like four episodes. Yeah. This episode, he's said it a couple times before, but now I'm realizing that one of Hank's catchphrases is when Russell's just like, thank you for your time. And he has that look on his face after he says it that is just so cutting. Russell can say whatever the hell he wants, so and I'll good. be like, yep. Mm-hmm. That was a good when they're sitting across from... from uh, Tony Soprano. Yeah, Mr. Betrell, which is also like when they go and interview the administrative assistant, and David is like, the initials SB, does that mean anything to you? And she's like, SB, no. And he's like, well, did he have any issues with anyone in the department? And she goes, oh, yeah, that would be Salvatore Betrell. <laughs> Hmm. Like, oh, oh, that needed one more pass. That scene needed one more pass. <laughs> but she did a great job selling that. Yes, she did. That was a nice bridge shot behind her, that window. Did you have a favorite bridge in Portland, by the way? I did. It was the, um, I would say the St. John's Bridge because it was just so beautiful. But, you know, we both lived across the Fremont Bridge. Mm-hmm. And Every time I go back to Portland and I'm driving into the city from the airport and I choose to take that route to go to the Northwest, I get this like feeling, you know? It's also the bridge I saw at my window. It's the bridge that we saw at the stages. So I have a lot of sentimental feelings for the Fremont Bridge, but aesthetically, the St. John's Bridge. Yeah, it's so old too. And then St. John's, the little neighborhood there is so charming. Yeah, I think that's where we went out to do our container yard scenes. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the houses was out there, too. can't remember which. Pretty inconvenient. We didn't go out there a lot. Yeah, there may have been a weight limit on the bridge for trucks or something. Yeah, I would say that was a gothic style. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you know where the scene when they're at the um, the beaver meeting scene all those beavers in one room. God, so many beavers in one room. There's so many beavers in one room. And the vines, I was trying to remember if that was all built on our Greens appreciation track. I always want to call out exceptional Greens work. I think that was built. But that was pretty phenomenal. Very elaborate vine work. Dense. Yeah. Dense vine work. I mean, what is your question? Like, is there a beaver den out in the world that they found and shot in? Well, I guess I was expecting it to, like, be a beaver den more just wooded. But the fact that it was all that greenery and vines, I want to know if that was real. Like, I want to know if that's a real location that had that amount of green, that had that amount of vines, or if that was built like that. I also, going to be honest, was expecting more wood. wood and, like, 
mud. A dam. A dam. Is what you were expecting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they're in the forest. They're living in the forest. Did you ever watch the movie The Gnome Mobile? The animated feature? No, it's live action, but they're tiny gnome people. This is like way, way, way back. <gasps> oh. No. Yeah. It's the same two kids from Mary Poppins. <gasps> and they get lost no. in the forest and there's these gnome, like these tiny people. And they're just like humans shrunk down, but they're kind of like fairy. They're very 60s, like they're wearing sprite gnome costumes. And there's one scene where there's like a game where all the women scatter throughout the forest and one of the man gnomes has to go chase and capture one of them. I mean, like, you know, real 60s vibes. But that is what this scene, it like feels like that. Like you have these humans in this tall place with greens that make the humans look tiny. But go check out the Gnomobile. I think you might like it. I will put that on my list. The Disney Barry Poppins original is one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies in the world. I know every word to that movie. That's why I do my bad Dick Van Dyke British accent like a hundred times in this podcast, because it's the only thing that comes to mind when I want to do a British accent is Dick Van Dyke doing a British accent. I really think it's really the best musical movie, in my opinion. But um, yeah, it was reminding me of The Gnomobile. So if anyone out there has seen The Gnomobile, like I have seen the Gnomobile, which is so much that I punched, you know, those old label makers, like the punch label makers. <laughs> you know, I was born in 1980, so this was like 1986, 1987, made a punch label maker that said the Gnomobile and put it on the back of my mom's Volvo station wagon. That's how much I love this film. <gasps> oh, that's so cute. But yeah. Oh, my God. Can't top the Gnomobile at the end of this episode. But we got some biggies coming up, guys. Yeah, we're in the home stretch of season one. So it's full steam ahead until the season finale. The next episode we're doing is Happily Ever Aftermath, one of our favorite, favorite fairy tale adaptations for sure. For sure. And Bitsy will be able to join us. Bitsy, yes. Mm -hmm. Bitsy's here with us for the last three episodes. We have a Bitsy-centric episode coming up in a few. Yeah. Where it's all about the bits, baby. <laughs> we're going to interview her. And we have Jim and David coming up to walk us back through all of season one. The work that we have to do now, Brie, is compile our list of all of the questions from all these various episodes that we've been piling up. Like, what was the vegan salmon made of? Was that a real set or mm -hmm. was that a Green's masterpiece? Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like I have work to do. I have work to do. I'm going to start making lists, putting together questions. Yeah. I mean, when are we going to have an opportunity to have Jim and David, our creators, locked down on a Zoom to answer all these very detailed questions. For you all too, just so you know, Jim and David are coming up, so send us those questions and we'll get them answered. See you all then. To be continued. <laughs>